Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here as uh, we talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide's huge road win in Fayetteville, the 16th straight barbecuing of the Hogs since an overtime loss in 2006. As John Parker Wilson was joking, he's the last quarterback to lose to Arkansas, yet he did beat them the last two years of his career. In 07 and 08, as Nick Saban came to town, Nick Saban still undefeated against Arkansas. And if you had told me before the game that Jalen Milrow would have to play two and a half quarters, Bryce Young would go out with an injury, I would have been skeptical that Alabama would have been able to come out with the win just because Jalen Milrow has never played in a game where it mattered and snaps that mattered. But he did it. He did so. I thought he was solid, especially considering – his lack of experience. He didn't turn the ball over. Uh, Alabama scored 35 points. The defense, I thought, played good, not great. They made some mental mistakes, especially Henry Toa Toa's egregious personal foul uh, that gave Arkansas a new life. But I thought, for the most part, they played pretty good. The kicking game was an abject disaster uh, with, the, of course, the missed field goal, even though Little Rocket missed a 53-yarder, not a 33-yarder. And then, of course, the disaster on the snap and the onside kick. So it wasn't the greatest performance in the world. wasn't super clean for Alabama. Still had a few penalties. Uh, but Alabama got it done. They scored 49 points. They, they move on, and they're undefeated. I was just told this stat, which is pretty stunning, guys. Seventh straight year, Alabama is undefeated going into October. That's a pretty good streak by Nick Saban and this coaching staff. Got to give some game balls to the coaching staff as a whole because I thought Bill O'Brien, all things considered, we all know he's a lightning rod for criticism, but I thought he, he had directed a really good offensive attack. And we saw William Barger's favorite unit, the offensive line, I thought took some big steps forward. I thought they played very well on the road against a defense that is who we thought they were. They can rush the passer. Uh, they can – Forced turnovers, but they're not very good overall against the run in the pass. Alabama was able to exploit it. William talked about it last week, coming out in three-man fronts. I don't think Arkansas really changed too much up. And so Alabama was able to exploit some things. Still too many drops on offense uh, by the receivers. But still, I thought the running back room really stepped up. We saw Jameer Gibbs have his nut drop moment, kind of like we did with the uh, Jamison Williams against uh, Texas ATM last year. He really had a huge game for Alabama, 11 carries over 200 yards, and those uh, three touchdowns, including uh, the two huge 70-yard plays in the fourth quarter to ice the game. So it was a great game by uh, Jameer Gibbs, no question about that. But as we as always, uh, I've got my two cohorts with me, Thomas the Wizard Watts, Fort City of Mobile, producing our show, doing a great job with his analytical takes and his football acumen, and then William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a national champion, and an insider that keeps his ear to the ground with the Crimson Tide. And William, uh, I was just mentioning the offensive line. I know it's an area you watch a lot. You watch the line of scrimmage. I thought Alabama controlled the line of scrimmage and makes it all the more remarkable because we didn't know until about an hour before the game Darian Dalcourt had back spasms was not going to go at center. Seth McLaughlin gets another opportunity and acquits himself pretty well. And then we did not see Justin Aboigby. Now, we don't know why Justin didn't make the trip yet, but he was not with the D-line. And yet Alabama still controls this game for the most part up front. Yeah, you know, I thought the offensive line did a good job. I mean, this isn't going to be the, the best front seven that they see all year, but it's a legit you know, SEC front seven. It's better than what they saw against Texas. You know, certainly better than what they saw last week against Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, they, they showed some, some some different, you know, positional uh, groupings and stuff. You know, McLaughlin coming in at center and Booker, you know, continuing to get reps at left and right guard. And, you know, when you go in and only give up one sack to the defense that's supposedly leading the country in sacks um you know i think you've done a pretty pretty good job and uh deserve a pat on the back you know the got the, the ground game really going i mean you heard um i don't know who it was nestler or, or gary you know pounding it in that that you know sam Pittman had a goal to 
they, by God, it didn't matter what else happened. They were going to win the third quarter this year. Well, they won the third quarter, but Alabama won the quarter that counts the most, and that's the fourth. Um, you know, I, I think probably some of the key takeaways for me from the game were that, you know, Alabama was able to win a game on the road that was in question going into the fourth quarter mm-hmm. without Bryce Young bailing them out. Yeah. And I, I think that's huge for the, 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 the team chemistry and the psyche because that was probably something that not only was floating through most fans' heads, but I would imagine it was floating through the sideline as well. And, and you know, hats off to Bryce Young. Um, nobody would have begrudged him if he sat over there on the bench and, you know, wondered about this season, the future, uh, whatever. But, you know, he was up after halftime and, you know, cheering and, and congratulating his teammates. And it just goes to show you the kind of leader that he is. Um, but, you know, probably, you know, the best part of the game for me um, was seeing my boy, big baby Otis. Get eight tackles, one sack, and one tackle for loss. And and that doesn't really even factor in a lot of the other disruptive things that he did, you know, that there's not a statistic to account for. Um, You know, folks, you're you're watching a monster in the making. Uh, This guy is going to be absolutely hell on wheels, maybe as early as the second half of this season. Because uh, that, that's a pretty decent offensive line uh, yeah. that the Alabama, you know, front seven had to deal with yesterday. It's not the best, but it's it's pretty solid. Um, but, no, nah, I just thought there was a lot of – you know, Drew, I agree with you. I mean, if you want to go negative for a minute, you know, I'm not even going to begrudge him the onside kick. That was so well-timed and well-executed. Um, I'm going to scratch that. But, you know, the if you factor in the – you know, the interception on the goal line um, on the first drive, the the bad punt, uh, no telling how many points, you know, that, that Arkansas acquired, um, you know, by the by the missed tackles and, the, and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the, the retarded penalty by Toa Toa. You know, Alabama, if they'd have played, you know, a much cleaner game, probably could have hung 70 on Arkansas. Um, so, you know, I think they really took some steps forward as a program. Um, you know, the wide receivers have to get better. Albeit, I'll, I'll throw this caveat in there. It's quite interesting to, you know, wake up this morning and get online and start looking at the box score and see that Alabama's two leading wide receivers were true freshmen, um, and Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bond. And, and, you know, and you sit there and you have to wonder, you know, what could this group look like, um, you know, with the full-time addition? I thought that was a sneaky, well-timed, well-thought, executed ploy by Bill O'Brien yesterday uh, to sneak JoJo in there, um, you know, on the screenplay down there on the goal line. And, you know, the offense executed it. JoJo, you know, I don't know why we didn't see any more of him because he sure looked healthy. But, you know, we, when you start thinking about the addition of a full-time JoJo Earl and a, you know, a Tyler Harrell to this wide receiver group, if they can get, you know, more consistent with their with their hands, I mean, that's, that's a scary thought with whoever the quarterback is. And, you know, I, I think that the longer we go into the season, I think people are going to start to realize that, um, that Gibbs really is Alvin Kamara. Um, and I think despite the production on the field, he may be playing, you know, a bigger factor, even though I think Alabama's probably done um, recruiting running backs for this year. But going forward in the future, I think he's probably playing a bigger facet in recruiting because running backs are going to look the way that, that Alabama's utilizing him, you know, both as a featured back and as a back, as a, you know, receiver out of the backfield. And, um you know, I think he's brought an, an extra dimension to this offense. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, Milrow, um, you know, to come in cold off the bench. Um, I, you know, the, the thing that I would say about him that, that probably is all that really needs to be said is, you know, he did more to help Alabama win than he did to help Arkansas win. And uh, that's, that's 
really a lot more than you can ask your second team quarterback to do. Um, you know, he, he, you know, contributed points. Um, you know, I know he had the one fumble, but, um, it didn't really have any impact on the outcome of the game, but just, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of really good takeaways, um, from what you saw yesterday, despite it still not being a, you know, a real clean game from Alabama on both sides of the ball. Well, yeah, and I think they still have a lot of room to grow, but I think that I'm like you, William, I think they took steps forward. Let me correct myself and begin my opening statement. Um, Jason McClellan actually had one of those touchdown runs, even though he only had six carries for 11 yards. It was in the red zone to put Alabama up 35 uh, to 24. Uh, now, Gibbs did have one called back on one of the most horse shit holding calls I've ever seen in all my life. Uh, I know Williams probably uh, remembers what I'm referring to, but it was on JV and Cohen and Cohen stared at the official for about a minute uh, because I don't really know how it's holding when you dominate a guy to the point that you just, you grab him and throw him to the ground. I don't really call that holding. I mean, that's just basically, if you, especially if you keep your hands inside, if you just are able to get leverage on a guy and throw him on the ground, Without grabbing his jersey, you just grab him around the around you know around his shoulder pads and or around his waist or whatever you want to say. Just grab his body and throw him to the ground. I don't really know how that's holding. So uh, I thought it was a great block, and you know he dominated the guy in front of him, but they called it back. Alabama, I think, still scored on the tunnel screen to JoJo Earl, which was good to see JoJo. I agree with William to get back. Now I just want to see if he and Kool-Aid go back as dual safeties. I probably would have asked that if I had been in the postgame in Fayetteville yesterday and Coach Saban probably would have written me. Uh, but I would have asked about that because I think that could be a very dangerous combination because certainly Kool-Aid's done so much at punt return besides the one fumble against Vanderbilt that I, I'm not sure you can take him off the field there. Uh, he had another explosive return. I think he – Average 25 on the three returns he had. And, they, and of course, one was uh, – some of it was called back due to, a, due to a, a, an illegal block. But I just felt like uh, that Kool-Aid was a huge factor. And then I will say this. I did not notice this until Coach Saban mentioned it in the post game that Kool-Aid even played a series at star because we know Brian Branch with that one with almost assuredly as a concussion uh, at halftime, uh, you know, before halftime and then uh, near the end of the first half. And then – they were playing Malachi Moore there. He gets cramps, and they have to, on the fly, put Kool-Aid there. And basically, Helms and Battle told him what to do, and he played there for a series. So that's huge kudos to Kool-Aid doing his job. I thought he played really good in the defensive backfield, William. And I'll tell you, I, I again, Alabama had 10 penalties. I didn't have a lot of problems with them. But I think it was a couple of bad calls. The call on J.B. and Cohen, and I thought the interference call on Kool-Aid was a really bad call. Yeah, and I, that's, to me, Drew, I thought two guys that, that you know, really jumped out at me. Um, you know, I'm not even going to talk about Kool-Aid's punt returns because they speak for him, to themselves. And I'm glad I'm not the guy that has to make that decision once JoJo is totally healthy. Um, but but I, I want him to keep playing coverage the way that he's playing it. You know, if he gets to them pass interference or two each week, I, it, so be it. Um, I've been absolutely amazed at how, you know, far he's come in, in coverage this season so far. Um, you know, caveat, has he played a really good wide receiver maybe outside of Worthy for Texas? Probably not. But still, um, he's, he's, you know, winning those matchups the way that he's supposed to. Um, you know, I, I view pass interference on a DB the same way I do a holding call on an offensive lineman. I'd rather him get the pass interference versus giving up the bomb versus a you know an offensive lineman, you know getting the quarterback killed versus you know you know tackling somebody. So, and on the opposite side of the field, you know I think carry on Arnold every week. Um, you're seeing that young man grow into that position and uh, you know make a positive contribution to the defense. Um, you know there there was some lapses on defense yesterday. Um, but you know, I think it was more so due to, to missed tackles and, you know, they were having to bring a lot of guys in and out of there, but, uh, you know, all in all, um, you know, I, I think they, they played pretty well and, you know, and they did it, you know, playing a lot of different people. 
Yes, they did. I, I thought they uh, they developed some depth, no question about it. Uh, you're so right. I you know I write a column for um, my radio station every week about the Alabama game. It's become a broken record on the newcomer on defense. Uh, it's been Jaheim Otis every week. It'll be Jaheim Otis again. Uh, he got his first. You know, you know, he had a half a sack coming in. He got his first. You know, was solo sack. Uh, you know, on Saturday and. I'll be honest, he used his weight to his advantage, and now I don't even know if K.J. Jefferson will be able to play next week. I hope so. Uh, but it just goes to show you how good Jaheim is already uh, and the effect he has on this defensive line. Hey, uh, hey, Drew, I'm not trying to interrupt you, but you just made me giggle because I forgot about that play. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking when K.J. was slow getting up, I'm like, brother, you better be glad it's October 1st instead of January 1st or that would have hurt a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, my man Otis, he, he definitely, uh, you know, landed on him and flattened him a little bit. And so. Uh, I, I, but I did think that uh, that uh, Alabama still played well on the defensive line. Uh, you know, they had a little bit of a lapse there in the third quarter, but the whole defense did. So, they, as Coach Saban said, and really second into the second quarter, into the third, they've got to keep up their intensity. Uh, they did let Arkansas back in it, but they. Uh, it, it's also Coach Jack Rutledge. I go back to something he said about seasons, and there are always points where you have a gut check. And Alabama had a gut check. It was third and 15. And then, you know, and then I thought, you know, Milrow played to his strengths. He made a play with his legs. Uh, the only thing that surprised me was that they chased him down. He was a little bit out of gas inside the five. But they were in, he was able to run 77 yards on third and 15. He's explosive like that. Uh, and so I just really was happy to see him play well. Uh, I still, he still worries me with his erratic play as a passer. Uh, he made one really good throw to Isaiah Bond, uh, you know, to move the chains and then have the tunnel screen touchdown to Jojo Earl, but down the field, he had Burton, didn't hit that, but I, you know, I'm not going to be too nitpicky because he had never played in a real game. So I, I, I would suspect, and I know we kind of buried the lead here with Bryce Young that he's probably out for the next game. I still think there's a, a, an above-average chance that he's back for Tennessee. And I thought it was interesting that Nick Saban said he's already had this kind of injury but not missed playing time before. So, And I also thought it was interesting A.J. McCarron was on social media saying, and I remember the play, he had the same injury against Arkansas, diving into the end zone, and then against Tennessee as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, against Arkansas, and he was diving in the end zone, I should say, against Tennessee. He had those same kind of injuries, but played through them. They, the medical staff got him going. And so I, I think Jeff Allen's the best in the business that there is. I thought it was significant that he didn't take his pads off, that he was on the sidelines the whole time. I don't think there's structural damage or like a tear or anything, uh, you know, or a separation. I think it's just a, a sprain. And so I think if they gave him a week off, that Alabama could still beat Dirt Neck in the, in the uh, Aggies on Saturday especially with Milrow getting all the reps. And I'd be anxious to see how much more comfortable he would be knowing that he'd be the guy. Uh, I know there's people already talking about Ty Simpson too, but Ty's only been here a semester and Ty needs to be developed uh, along the lines of a Mac Jones. And I think that's why he came to Alabama. He knows he needs time. And Milrow has been there two years as freakish athletic ability. And even with being erratic as a passer, but the way this team is built with the Jameer Gibbs and the Jace McClellans to this improved offensive line by, you know, Eric Wolford, who has a pulse as an offensive line coach, I still think you can build an offense around Milrow for the short term to win. Can you win an SEC or a national title? Probably not. But I think you can still win in the short term with Milrow. Uh, and I think they can still beat Texas A&M. I just don't think Texas A&M is very good. I think they're schemes or, you know, uh, lack, uh, you know, creativity on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, Durkin, I think, is a good, not great defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, everybody knows what I think of Jimbo Fisher. He's been past his prime. He's the most overrated coach besides David Shaw in America. And so I think Alabama's been looking forward to this game. I think they're going to put their best foot forward, hopefully play clean. And if they do, they'll beat A&M badly. I've already put in a pick. Someone asked me today, you know, kind of what I was feeling about the game. And I said, 
Well, you know, I think it's going to be somewhere around a 41 to 13 game. I think it's going to be a beat down because I just don't think Texas ATM can score. If Alabama can uh, contain a chain, I think that that's the key because he's explosive. They don't have Anaya Smith anymore. Evan Stewart, you know, I, he's a talent, but with what he's surrounded with, I don't think he'll make a ton of plays. And so the, I, I will say this. I actually, I had friends of mine. One of them is a really good friend of William and I's. We both know him personally. And, I, and, I'll, and, I, and, and uh, I'll just say he kind of gave up at the end of the third quarter and thought Alabama was fixing to go eight and four. But he, uh, he, luckily Alabama got up off the turf, had that gut check, and played well. He wasn't enjoying himself. He thought the season was already over because of Bryce's injury. I was actually enjoying watching some of these young guys step up. I think Bryce is going to be okay. Things happen. I wished he had just, you know, rolled on his shoulder and not tried to throw the ball away. We all understand that, but things happen. And so I think in the long run, it could benefit Alabama, no question about it. So I think when you look at this, I think they got better as a team. And they had to lean on the offensive line, which I think stepped up and got better. And now you know, and this is my take on it. I've, I've had a lot of people tweet at me and a lot of people telling me that Dalcourt's not the best player. Why is why isn't McLaughlin going to be the starter? I still think when Dalcourt comes back, he'll be the starter. I don't think he's Ryan Kelly, but I don't think he's as bad as the, as the people make him out to be. He's already been an offensive lineman of the week. But I will say, Alabama's blessed because they have two good players. They have Darian Dalcourt and McLaughlin. They can play winning football. And no, I don't think one of them will move to guard because Tyler Booker is a beast in the making. And he and Cohen are, are rotating. And Ekior's a good player. And then I think the tackles are getting better every game. So I think Alabama's just fine. I think Wolford is starting to take effect with his coaching. I, I like the cohesion that I'm seeing. I like Kendall Randolph at tight end and his physicality out, out wide. I just now with two's got to catch the football and these receivers. That's the thing that I want to see. Hopefully, William, we're going to see more. I know Tyler Harrell needs to get healthy and Aaron Anderson. But hopefully these young guys are going to start getting more and more playing time. Because as much as I've liked Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, he and Holden have dropped the ball a lot. And so to me, these younger guys need getting more and more playing time. That was one of the things I took out of this, that Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bond took advantage of opportunities. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Randolph. Um, and, and no disrespect for the job that he did. Uh, filling in in the early part of the season on the offensive line, but he's exactly where he needs to be uh, to help this Alabama football team. He was a beast, um, especially in short yardage and goal line uh, situations yesterday, um, block blocking from his tight end position. He he had a he probably had one of his best games I've seen him have um, at Alabama, and uh, and, and you know if, if you know. I can't remember if it was every year. I know it was at least twice, but if this will help some Alabama fans, you know, deal with their anxiety over the Bryce Young situation. But I know for a fact, at least two years, A.J. McCarron had to have some type of off-season labrum procedure. And I'm not so sure if it wasn't every year. Um, right. Yeah. You know, so coach, coach Saban, you know, talking about, you know, Bryce having, you know, shoulder issues in the past and being able to play through the pain, you know, AJ was able to do it, um, you know, at least until the season was over with and have the thing cleaned up then. So, you know, this isn't some type of, um, you know, had it been a rotator cuff, uh, we'd be having a different conversation. Yeah, we would, no doubt. It looks like it's going to uh, – what I'm hearing, it's a sprained AC joint. Um, and Bryce is going to, you know, already be getting treatment. And, again, I definitely think he'll miss the A&M game. But I think Alabama, the way the season's evolved, they can still win this game. I think they can still beat ATM. And this is when I'm going to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation because this has kind of been Thomas's, you know, uh, it, 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 uh, game right here. He's been pointing to it all year. He's been telling us on the previous shows that he thinks this is going to be a bloodletting. I know he's studied the numbers of what ATM did against Mississippi State on the road, and I know he studied the Arkansas numbers. And, and Thomas, I, I can just tell you, 
Trey Biddy from hogsports.com is a guy I respect a lot. I've had him on my show. And I always watch his walk and talk because he walks from Reynolds Razorback Stadium or wherever the Razorbacks play on the road back to his vehicle after games. And he gives everybody his thoughts for, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14 minutes, 15 minutes. And he spent at least half of that yesterday lamenting the fact that there's no way Arkansas should have lost A&M. He was still pissed off because A&M is not any good. I will give you the floor. Is this a mismatch with A&M and Alabama going into Saturday, even without Bryce Young? So let me let me just say, before the kickoff against Arkansas, I was ready to walk onto BAM's radio and pick something like 55-14, 55-10, 55-17. One of those things that is just a complete destruction because I don't think a and very good. I think that a and could be good in a couple of years. Uh, shout out to a friend of ours, uh, Drew, you know him. They're going to run a great 9-2 defense. But uh, other than that, going to struggle. But when you look at this whole team going forward, when you look at A&M, they shouldn't be even the three and two that they are. At home against the Miami Hurricanes, they were outgained. In Jerry World against the Arkansas Razorbacks, they were outgained. And it took one of the flukiest, bizarrest plays you will ever see to really change that game. And then a doink off the top of an upright to make that work. Now, Maybe A&M just has the Auburn horseshoe shoved up certain nether regions, and so that's why they're 3-2. and two. But here's the thing. How does Texas A&M want to attack? Texas A&M, because of Anaya Smith's injury, they're going to try and run to set up the pass. This is classic, old-school, pro-style offense because that's all Jimbo Fisher knows. And Max Johnson is mediocre at best and I, I think Devin A. Chain, he might get he might could take reps off Jameer Gibbs I think he's that good as a running back but how is Texas A&M going to move the ball on this Alabama defense at home because here's the other part of this Drew Alabama the team has probably had this game circled for a bit whether you say that players remember or don't from last year the Alabama fan base has had this game circled since Jimbo Fisher opened his mouth a few months ago. And how does this Texas A&M group operate against the best defense that they've seen with a fan base behind that defense that would love nothing more than to figure out how to give Texas A&M negative points? Like, if it was possible, that would be what the Alabama fan base wanted. So, mathematically, here's the problem with Texas A&M. Their offense has been so inefficient that they've been consistently outgained. Their defense hasn't really played an offense like a Bryce Young-led Alabama team. Now, Bryce Young, I think he's out this week. I don't think Bryce Young needs to play against Texas A&M. I'm so low on the Aggies this year. So, ironically, that helps the Aggie defense because a lot of what Texas A&M saw against Arkansas will be variations of what Alabama wants to do with Jalen Milrow. Texas A&M is going to try and load the box and force Milrow to complete passes, but I don't think that's impossible. I said, I believe last week, Jalen Milrow read the blitz, threw to his hot guy. Was it a pretty pass? Absolutely not, but he completed it. If Milrow is able to do stuff like that, then Alabama will have success. Do I think the Aggie defense will keep A&M in it for a little while? Probably. I think there's too much talent over there for it just to be a complete whitewashing. But this Texas A&M team is painfully overrated because everybody sees that number one recruiting class, that means 
you know, we're gonna Texas A&M is gonna just plug and play those guys. Well, it's you know, think about Alabama's class. William just got done saying Jaheim Otis is gonna be a problem, but and you said it too, Drew. Jaheim Otis has been the freshman newcomer of the week in your column. You know, Jaheim Otis is not the norm for kids coming in any more than Isaiah Bond or the other true freshman that Alabama's had. Realize that Alabama gets positive, healthy contributions from two or three or maybe four or five if they, get a, if they really, really hit it, uh, true freshmen out of anywhere from 25 to 30 kids coming in. Now, go to your calculator, put, put five out of 30. Look at that percentage. A&M had to hit at a higher rate than that, which is so statistically bizarre. It's not, it's not something you can bank on. So just overall, Drew, this A&M team has been not very good on offense. They're playing far and away the best defense they've seen, and they're on the road. This game still has a 45-14, 38-14, 45-10 feel to it. And then suddenly, the thing that not a lot of Alabama fans may have noticed, because uh, the A&M game and the Mississippi State game ran concurrently, suddenly Haynes King comes in and throws two picks. Texas A&M had four turnovers against Mississippi State. You know, is there suddenly now going to be a, con- a quarterback rotation against Alabama on the road? Good luck with that. That's all I'm going to say. But, you know, to, to, just to go all the way back to your original question, this Texas A&M team is not very good. The people – this really underscores the problem with preseason polling and underscores the secondary problem of the vast majority of sports journalists would be football players if they could run a 40 in under a year because they don't know how to think. They just pull up a depth chart and say, rabble, 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 this should work. And they don't need to justify their opinions beyond that. So this is a brutal game. This is not where Texas A&M wants to be. And really the question that we need to talk about after next week's game is even with that Titanic buyout, is Jimbo Fisher suddenly on the hot seat? Because this season is very quickly spinning out of control for the Texas A&M Aggies, Drew. Oh, I mean, he and David Shaw, I mean, they're stealing money. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind. I hope A&M keeps Jimbo the whole contract. Uh, They probably won't be able to afford to do that. And they just bought another defensive lineman in David Hicks, uh, you know, who's a good player, I think. I'm not sure he's – he might be a five-star talent. We'll see. But he, you know, spurned Oklahoma at the last minute to take the money and run. But, of course, Oklahoma looks like dog manure right now too uh, as uh, Brent Venables has to continue to clean that mess up. But – uh, again, I just thought overall Alabama took some steps forward. I'm going to be interested to see how this wide receiver group continues to take a shape. Uh, I thought Bryce, he was a victim of some drops even before he went out, was playing well. He had already thrown for 174. Uh, Prentice really showed up early. Bond showed up. I was excited about that. Trace John Holden is going to have to stop being a prima donna. And what I mean is, I don't like receivers who drop a ball, get hit, and then act like somebody shot them, okay? Now, if you caught the ball, you'd be getting up pointing first down and flexing a little bit. I mean, you got to catch the football. Uh, and I've been really high on Ja'Cory Brooks and his clutch play, but it wasn't his greatest afternoon. So, you know, he, need, that, that he needs to uh, – those two guys need to step up. If they did not play that well, I still think Burton, his time is going to come especially when Bryce gets back. But again, I just think overall, either a couple of these veteran wide receivers who've been around this program are going to step up, or when the Aaron Andersons and Tyler Harrells come back uh, from injury and JoJo keeps getting more acclimated, then you might see some playing time dwindle for some guys. So we will see. But that's a good problem to have, though. Iron sharpens iron. You're competing. And so and Amari Nyback, Nyblack played a lot yesterday. Didn't get targeted but I still think he's getting better as a player. So he may be a factor going forward offensively. Uh, But I I wanted to go back to William. William, I know we brought up the offensive line, uh, you know, uh, briefly in the beginning. I'll I'll get your thoughts on it, and I respect your opinion. Uh, You know, I have mine. We all, sometimes we differ, but sometimes we're on the same page. 
Where do you think the Alabama O-line needs to go from here? Should Booker be the full-time starter? Should the rotation continue at left guard? And where do you think the center spot goes from here? Well, I, I think this is, you know, me basically seeing it happen before and, and a little bit of speculation. But to answer your question, um, yeah, I think he does. But I, I don't think the – the, the best way to let that happen would have been on the road at Arkansas. Um, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to be, you know, this, you know, for Texas A&M or, or a home game. I'm not sure if that's the best way to, um, to let it happen. Um, you know, I also think like we, we've talked about before, I think it's a delicate situation with, um, you know, it's not like Cohen is playing bad. And, you know, then you've got the, the off-the-field issues of his that I'm sure is a touchy subject with the coaching staff. Um, as far as the center goes, I mean, I think it's, you know, six, one-half dozen the other. Um, I'm not the biggest Dow Court fan in the world. Um, and and he'll, he'll never be in the same conversation as Ryan Kelly. Um, but it's, it's two different players. You know, I think Dow Court's the guy that, does better if he's shaded or covered uh, by a defensive tackle. You know, he's a bigger-bodied guy, so he's probably the guy that's going to get a little bit more movement at the point of attack. Uh, I think McLaughlin's the, the more athletic guy that, that does a better job of, uh, you know, getting up getting up to the second level and getting a hat on a linebacker. I thought he did a great job yesterday um, with some of the, you know, the outside zone concepts that they were doing. Um, you know, pushing guys past the hole that allowed Gibbs to cut up and make some of those big runs. But, you know, I, I think, you know, both situations, you could make an argument, um, you know, for both. But, you know, Booker is kind of like the offensive line version of Jaheim Otis. Um, you know, the more time and the more reps that that kid gets, uh, the quicker he's going to reach his, his potential, and, and that potential is that of a first-round draft pick. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't know. Uh, uh, Thomas may not have been doing as much channel surfing um, as I did last night, and I haven't heard what his availability is. But, um, you know, I, I was going back and forth during the Alabama game, um, you know, watching some other games and, you know, uh, you know, uh, NC State was giving Clemson all they wanted for a little bit. Missouri, you know, you knew the collapse was coming, but um, they they still gave Georgia all they wanted. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of that A&M Mississippi State game yesterday, they were putting a, a, a brace on Max Johnson's throwing hand. Um, so, you know, I don't know what his availability is. I don't know what the outcome of that injury was. Well, and so let me let me just jump in real quick. Uh, William, that I, I was, I'm not allowed to channel surf when Alabama is on. Uh, my mother, I have about 10 inches and a hundred pounds ish on her. I'm fairly certain she would turn into a spider monkey and rip my face off if I changed away from the Alabama game, even though it's my house, my television. So I'll take your word for it. And honestly, if Max Johnson is unavailable, that's even worse because the only thing Haynes King was able to do was find Anaya Smith. Otherwise, it was just a ho-dee-do-dee-do, 50% passing completion percentage, and at least three of those are going to the opposing team kind of performance. Now, I say that, and of course, he's going to turn into Steven Garcia. But anyway, no, no, that, that, if that happened, I apologize that I was unprepared for that, but that makes it even worse for Texas A&M against Alabama. Well, and uh, Thomas, I know you said you also wanted to comment on Tyler Booker. We talked about that rotation. Booker's a nasty dude, man. He gives him a different look. Now, I, and I'm not saying that Cohen has played poorly. I just think that both guys have played well. It's kind of a good problem to have, and it's something that Coach Wolf's going to keep having to sort out. So we talked about this last week, and, and for me – I think the real important part of Booker or you know, Booker, Cohen, Echior, and McLaughlin, Dalcourt is that I have faith in Eric Wolford. And what I mean by that is we only knew this after the fact, but 
Doug Marone was essentially a stuffed shirt for the vast majority of last year. He is unused to dealing with college players, and shocker, an 18 to 22-year-old individual is pretty different from a 23 to 35-year-old individual. Uh, I made a joke with some undergrads. It's like they said something to me, and I just looked at them like, what? Like, this was this week. I was just like, what? Are, are, I literally stopped the guy and was like, are you high? That, that's a terrible idea. And that's really the dichotomy. So whether – and I will say, I think McLaughlin, every time he's on the field, I feel like the offense performs better. But having said that, and I think this is a really important thing when we talk about the offensive line, Drew and William, it, you know – it was essentially student body left, student body right that cracked Jameer Gibbs for those 70-plus 70, those 70 yard touchdowns. But the thing about it is Jalen Milrow's ability to take the ball and run had a pretty big effect on the entire play. Now, Jameer Gibbs is big-time fast, super speedy. But the thing about it is you've got to account for Jalen Milrow in a way that you didn't have to account for Bryce Young. So you have to stick a guy on him. You can't. You still always want to attack the mesh point in a zone read scheme. That's the easiest way to do it. But here's the problem. If you can't get to the mesh point for whatever reason, depending on how it's schemed, etc., then you have a serious problem. So as much as we want to say, you know, Alabama ran for an ocean of rushing yards, essentially, over those last few possessions, that was the offensive line playing well, and it was also the presence of Jalen Milrow as a runner, which changed the calculus of things. I think the big takeaway from the Alabama-Arkansas game is everybody wants to overreact and say XYZ person is better. Well, XYZ person, in this case Seth McLaughlin, is only better than Darian Dalcourt in the context of having Jalen Milrow running with the first-team offense. Outside of practice, that hasn't really been a thing against opposing teams. So overall, give me Wolford and what he's doing with this offensive line group. I think Tyler Booker continues to accelerate and become a better player. I frankly think it's a fait accompli that he takes one of the guard spots by the end of the year. But, you know, I think the important thing that I can say to our listeners is understand that these decisions and why things work are not just Tyler Booker grabbing a guy and launching him from Fayetteville to Munich, Germany, but it's Booker doing his job or McLaughlin doing his job and the presence of players around him, which lets Jameer Gibbs run for 70 yards. It's never one player doing one thing, or maybe very, very rarely it's one player doing one thing to turn in an explosive. And that's really what I saw, what I saw from the LM offensive line, what I saw from the offense as a whole. And just to briefly comment on the defense, the only alarming thing about the Alabama defense was the number of plays that ended up being run against them. That's not winning football in any context. And some of it is the, the once Alabama's defense matures, that's getting a little thin with me. But at the same time, congratulations, guys. Jalen Milrow's not going to be able to move the ball like Bryce Young, so there's going to be more pressure on you. We'll see how it all plays out moving forward, Drew. Yes, we will, but I will say this. And William kind of referenced it early, and he got the final tackle of the game on Jaden Hazelwood, really close ground, and I thought played well throughout the game. I think the most improved player on the defense, the most impactful newcomer has been my man Otis. We understand that. But the most improved player has been Darian Arnold. Uh, he played really good football yesterday. And, again, this wide receiver group for Arkansas is good, not great. But he played outstanding. Kool-Aid's playing well. I mean, once they st- cut out the stupid mental errors and penalties, and it's kind of what you were referencing, Thomas, and once, you know, I think they continue to, con- to gel and get better, and I think they will, because you, they, they, there's only one way you go. You either get better or you get worse. The numbers for this defense, some have been critical of it, but I think that's been really good. 
they faced some adversity yesterday, and they and they still made plays. I think Terion has been the biggest surprise, and I you know I thought he was going to start pushing for playing time, but he's become a really good player. Eli Ricks got in late, but that's because you know basically Terion has taken that spot. I think the secondary once you know you get Branch back is going to be really good, and I, I think it's going to be a strength of this team. And before we go back to Thomas, Liam, I wanted to get your thoughts on it because I think Terion is really starting to come into his own. No, absolutely. Um, and, and also, too, I mean, you, you didn't have a 100% Jordan battle out there yesterday. I mean, it was a game-time decision, um, you know, whether he was going to play or not. He's got a tweaked hamstring. Um, so, you know, there's, there's you know, some injuries involved as, as well. And, you know, one guy that, you know, maybe or maybe not because of the unavailability of, of a Bogby that, that really flashed a couple times yesterday. Uh, surprisingly enough to me, more as a pass rusher than anything. Uh, but, but Jamil Burroughs, um, you know, I think made a little bit of an impact, maybe not on the statistical chart. Uh, but, you know, he flashed, you know, as an interior pass rusher a couple times. So, you know, there's some positives there. I mean, I, I think to me, the, the number one thing that I want to see go away, and, and we talked about this last year, is for Christ's sakes, quit blitzing freaking toe-a-toe up the middle. He never gets to where he's supposed to be. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about this last year. It's been, it's been an issue in my book um, on numerous occasions. Um, you know, if, if that's the, the look that you want to do, uh, slide him over to the other side and, and bring Chris Braswell in and let him blitz up the middle. You know, he's actually got some elusiveness and, and you know, more quick twitch ability to, um, you know, defeat an offensive lineman or a, or a uh, uh, running back stepping up in pass pro. You know, Toa Toa is not going to bull rush an SEC offensive guard or center um, and make a sack on the quarterback. And, and you know, he doesn't really seem to – you know, or maybe somebody hasn't taught him that his job is to avoid uh, that mesh point, not to engage the guy. Um, so that that's really been my biggest criticism so far with the defense is on that one particular blitz package. You know, it, it just it just never happens. There's it's just not effective. So, um, but you know, they have done a good job, like I said, of you know, Drew, like you talked about earlier. Um, you know, after, you know, uh, Branch got knocked out and, you know, moved Kool-Aid inside, you saw Malachi Moore come in. But to me, I, I think and nobody is talking about this. And there again, Thomas touched on the, you know, the, the opinions and the projections of the media. But if you just go off of the media's projections, um, you know, Terry on Arnold is held off somebody that the the media had projected as being a first team all American and a one and done cornerback this year for Alabama in uh, Eli Ricks. Now I think a lot of people forgot just how highly rated and recruited uh, Terry on Arnold was coming out of high school two years ago. But to me, that's been one of the biggest stories um, throughout the month of September is just how far, uh, you know, Terry on Arnold has come. And th- that isn't a, uh, a conviction against Eli Ricks. I just think it just goes to show you just how much talent, um, you know, Alabama has at certain positions. Yeah, they are. And I'm going to come back to Thomas here and uh, he's going to talk about what was definitely the best game of the year for uh, our guy, Dallas Turner. He played really well. He, his stat line, Thomas had been pretty pedestrian going into the game yesterday. Uh, but the sophomore from, uh, South Florida really asserted himself from St. Thomas Aquinas uh, in that game yesterday. Certainly, Drew. I, I thought that particularly in the first half when the Alabama defense was firing on all cylinders, it was Turner's best half, and that translated into Turner's best game. Do I think he missed, you know, as, as Arkansas piled up plays, he missed a couple of plays, et cetera? Yeah, I think he did. But he was around the ball a lot, whether it was harassing K.J. Jefferson or 
in the short, you know, what, what would be, what, if it was a basketball court, it'd be like the short corner, not the flat, but, you know, five, or five yards off the line of scrimmage. He was all over the place yesterday. I take nothing away from Will Anderson, who continues to be, you know, the, the, the what is it, the death star, you know, the, the God-slaying death machine that is, the, that is Will Anderson. He continues to do Will Anderson things. But Dallas Turner had been, frankly, fairly meh. Not, not terrible, but not the guy that I have to watch 1-5 on this third down. But what really will take this Alabama defense to the next level is something we saw last year in that Will Anderson needs a running mate. One of Will Anderson's running mates is Jaheim Otis. Uh, different kind of players, they have different kind of responsibilities, but they're able to do their jobs at a high level. But what was always going to make the Alabama pass rush lethal is two guys that at least one of them can win a one-on-one on a consistent basis. And, you know, to play the conversation forward, one of the things that we talked about last week on the program was why haven't we seen Alabama deploy the cheetah package against, you know, the really Texas. That was the, that was the easy use case. And the attitude or the answer was it can cause rush lane headaches. Essentially for fans that aren't into X's and O's as much, when you rush a quarterback, one of the, particularly the tackle's job is to either stone, get in front of the player and stop them, or force them out wide, outside of the lane they're assigned. And what does that mean for the interior? The interior can get blocked one way or the other. But if you really sit down on a whiteboard, what you want to do is have, you know, if you have four down linemen, you want to you want to create a straight line from each starting position to where the quarterback finishes his drop, whether it's a three a five or a seven step drop, whichever the case may be. But you want to have a straight line there because what you want is a uniform pocket collapse. Well, when you put Chris Braswell, Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, and I believe it was uh, Byron Young in this case was the one true defensive tackle in the game for the cheetah package. One of the easiest ways to defeat it is if you can push one of the three speed rushers in a weird spot. And that's why I think you didn't see it against Texas. But what did we see yesterday against the Arkansas Razorbacks? Third and forever blitz with the cheetah package. And KJ Jefferson couldn't really escape. That's going to pay dividends against a guy like Hendon Hooker, who low-key one of the reasons Tennessee has been so good on offense is... If nothing works in the secondary, Hooker can go take it for, you know, 5, 6, 7, 10, 15 yards. Similar to what Jalen Milrow did. Now, Milrow did it for 77. But that, that whole concept, that's a similar concept here. So if Alabama is able to maintain rush lane discipline with that group, including Dallas Turner, who, again, I think had his best game of 2022 thus far, that's a big deal for Alabama being able to keep a team off schedule, you know, second and 12, create a negative play on first and 10, uh, illegal formation, which plagued Arkansas at times, yes, uh, on the game on Saturday. But, you know, create a third and long situation. If you can get Braswell, Turner, and Anderson on the field and not just accept that the quarterback's going to have to be tackled by Henry Toa Toa or – uh, Jalen Moody or Deontay Lawson because he's going to break contain. That's a really good spot for this Alabama defense. Is it? Were there things that were frustrating yesterday? Absolutely. Are there things that need to get cleaned up? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that everything is trash and the world needs to just end because everything's on fire. There are things to move forward. There are things to be excited about. And again, to go all the way back to when I took a blowtorch to a very bad Texas A&M team, Texas A&M can't do half of what Arkansas does in terms of stressing a team. So, you know, get your pulled pork, get your smoker rocking, and enjoy what should be an utter destruction 
uh, next Saturday night on CBS, Drew? Well, before I get Williams' prediction, I'll just go back to you. I said 41-13. to 13. You've been predicting in the 50s and another domination. Now we, we are pretty sure now that we, we are not, you know, completely uh, sold on the fact that Bryce won't play. More than likely, he will not, though. We would be surprised. Uh, but what is your pick on the game? What is your thought right now? So – Given that we might see Haynes King, and Haynes King is going to think that Alabama players are A&M players on multiple occasions, give me 45-10. I, I really – one of the quiet parts out loud from the Arkansas-Bama game on the road is that for all of Milrose's struggles completing passing passes, particularly you know 10 yards beyond line of scrimmage, he was the guy that authored the drives that scored 35 points. So I think more of the same against A&M, 45-10, Alabama rolls, and uh, I'm absolutely going to be incorrigible because some of the nonsense that happened in the offseason surrounding Jimbo and the Texas A&M Aggies, well, congratulations, guys. You played the stupid game. Take your stupid prize, a complete ass-kicking in Tuscaloosa. And, William, your thoughts? Uh, you know, if if Milrow, you know, is the starter, um, thirty-eight to thirteen. So you still think he can do enough with a full week to win this game impressively? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, especially if they, uh, you know, adjust the offense to, uh, you know, to suit his skill set. You know, you you want to see more RPOs. Um, you know, one of the most dangerous things and one of the most difficult plays to defend with an RPO is for the quarterback to put the ball in the running back's chest, pull it, and hit a tight end 10 to 15 yards on a seam route down the middle. Sure would be nice to see an athlete like Nilbike doing that. Yeah, that's a good point with Amari Nodblack, no doubt about it. But uh, certainly uh, we're going to uh, – we all are in agreement that we think Alabama is going to annihilate uh, dirt neck and the Texas ATM Aggies and send them to their third loss on the way to more mediocrity. Uh, Alabama played well in, in Fayetteville, but still has room to grow, and that should be exciting. We saw Georgia come back down to earth against a below-average Missouri team. We're seeing Auburn struggle right now. Brian Harson, they're headed to Athens. That's probably going to be ugly. Uh, we saw Kentucky, uh, you know, give a game away against Ole Miss. They, they, they were the better team, but could not finish. The only thing that made me sick all weekend, fellas, I, you know, I wasn't even all dis- that disheartened with Bryce's injury because I don't think it's severe. It happens. It allowed the team to grow. Was that uh, It did make me sick watching Barry and Brown have 240 all-purpose yards for Kentucky. I wish that kid was in an Alabama uniform. I told you guys he was the best player I saw in person last year on the high school level. I just will say this. I hope Kentucky can get him the football a little bit more. Because if he goes into the portal, Alabama ought to be all over his ass because they should have taken him in the, to begin with. I know he had some off-the-field issues, but that kid is a player. No question in my mind. And he would bring more explosiveness to this Alabama receiver group. But I'm also anxious to see this Alabama receiver group continue to evolve, and we saw some of that on Saturday. I think Alabama's better than A&M as a coaching staff on the field in every area. Probably A&M has more talent on the D-line, but like Thomas said, you can't win a game running a 9-2. So I think Alabama's good enough on the D-line to still win uh, and dominate. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, This has been a game I've been, uh, you know, kind of uh, pointing to as well. So I'm uh, I'm anxious to see Alabama play well in this game and then get ready for what would be up to that point the biggest game of the season against Tennessee on the road. It's been what this rivalry – Used to be, it could be again this season if Tennessee can, of course, go to Tiger Stadium and win. That's going to be an interesting challenge for them. And we'll talk about that game next week. We'll talk about, hopefully, the destruction of Alabama over the Texas ATM Aggies. Uh, and, uh, and we'll continue to talk recruiting. We'll see. Uh, you know, there's some, uh, some early word that it's going to be a monster recruiting weekend for Alabama. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. Uh, Keon Keeley is supposed to be coming in for his official visit. Uh, he is one of the best players in the country and someone that definitely Alabama would like to uh, 
you know, close this weekend. Uh, and then if you saw this today too, uh, Tyler Scott, uh, just watch him from Mableton, Georgia, the alma mater of one Colin Sexton. Uh, you know, they, he has been uh, watched by T-Rob and offered. Alabama still wants Kermani McLean too. Uh, but just understand that that's a kid that's kind of been rising. He's a 6'2 corner. Alabama wants to sign at least one more elite corner. We're going to talk about recruiting next week and about this Texas ATM game and look forward uh, to Tennessee, one of the most storied rivalries in the SEC with Alabama and the Vols looking to hook up in Knoxville the next week. So for Thomas the Wizard Watts, for William Redfish Barger, it's been a great addition of BAMS Radio, and we love the, the continued support from everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for encouraging us. And we always love bringing you Crimson Tide conversation each week. But good night, everybody. And uh, it's been a good Sunday conversation. But we'll be back next week, same time. Uh, please be ready for a new spirited edition of BAMS Radio. For Thomas Watts, William Redfish Barger, I'm Drew Yarman, And we'll talk to you next week. Roll Tide, everybody. <laughs>